0: Praise the Lord. She's still my all-time favorite preacher. because she can take my little thoughts and just make them so revelatory. No, but I'm going to take credit for all of them anyway. So that's the way that goes. I want you to take your Bibles with me, if you will, and go to Joshua. That's a great lead-in to where we want to go. Joshua, the third chapter. Joshua, the third chapter. This morning, Andrea did such a wonderful job talking about how desperate we are for Jesus and that the answer cannot come from earth's side. It must come from heaven's side. The law was written to show the holiness of God, but also to declare to us our unholiness. The Old Testament was a covenant between God and man. The New Testament we will discover tonight is a covenant between God and God. And God lives in man. Now I'm going to read what may seem an obscure passage of Scripture, but as you look at that, I want you to get this in your spirit. There's been a misnomer, uh, a false teaching, if you will, about grace. Grace of the living God does absolutely pardon me, it pardons me from the sin. We cannot be saved without Jesus Christ, our Savior. It is absolutely impossible. But the same grace that pardons me also empowers me. If I'm not empowered, then really and truly I'm not pardoned. But if I'm pardoned, I am empowered. Some other things, and I know that I've been preaching like series and sermons, but I've just got two services, and I really believe that God is prepping you for the outpouring of his spirit like you've never seen. But as we get the cross back in line, and I'm not saying it's not here, I just found out that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. Understand this, as you continue on your journey, God will never ask you for what he hasn't already given. Why does he ask for all of your heart? because he has given you all of his heart he will also never ask of us require of us what he has not already empowered us to do he said be you holy for i am holy he would not ask for us it would make him unjust if holiness was not obtainable without his empowering now as i shared with you a little bit about my story this morning some had asked me after church, and I'm glad that they did. About the events and the process, and and when Jesus saved me, and how long did it take me to get over the the dysfunction of my of my family? If you would open Webster's Dictionary and look for dysfunction, you would see our happy unhappy family's faces setting there. I promise you. It was just it was that bad, and it's taken me a lifetime. But I have discovered Jesus Christ is real. And that through the power of Jesus Christ, we can overcome. I want you to look here in Joshua. And as we turn there, let's go to the Lord once more. Father, I, I magnify. Father, I glorify your holy, holy, holy name. Jesus, please, please come and do what only you can do. Unveil, Lord God. The flesh, and let us see you, Lord God, in such a wonderful, beautiful way that we would understand that the power is, Lord God, resident within us because you are here in us. Let us see you, oh Lord God, that all that we need, Lord God, is you. And that, Lord, we can and will overcome through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for the presence of your spirit. Joshua, the third chapter. Let's begin reading. Here in the ninth verse, Joshua 3 and 9, Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua in verse 10 said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail, get a hold of this, he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Peshawites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourself twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all of the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. And you'll find out as you read a little bit further, that's exactly what it happened. As the priest bearing the ark stepped into to end. A wilderness journey to begin a journey into the land of promise as they stepped into the Jordan the Jordan began to back up and stand up I'm sure it didn't stop flowing in my imagination in my mind's eye it just kept building up and building up and building up and it stayed that way as long as the priests were standing in the Jordan now as we see here, and as we talked about this morning, I'm discovering Jesus in the old covenant in brand new and exciting ways. Now, Andrea ran across a little book, The Morrow of Divinity, of Modern Divinity, The Morrow of Modern Divinity, written in the 1600s. There was a teaching in there, just it's not a little book. It's still sitting on my desk. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> I just get the synopsis from her because as she said, she always likes to teach. <laughs> yeah, I heard something the other day that kind of described her and my son. See, they, they love to learn. They just hate to be taught. <laughs> but they love to teach. Jacob's the same way. He's always teaching me something about something. Okay. But, In there, there's just one little line and it just is one of those firestorms, one of those dominoes that just kind of just kind of opened up even to this message tonight. And it said in there and described Jesus, the Ark of the Covenant was a type of Jesus. Jesus. I've always preached the Ark of the Covenant as the presence of the Lord, and I, I believe that. But as we begin to look at that, the Ark of the Covenant as a type of Jesus, it brings such revelation. And hopefully before you leave here, if you'll stay with me, I hopefully before you leave here, you'll have greater confidence in the Jesus in you than you have before you came. Now as we look at that, it's not hard to see as we begin to unfold in the Scriptures this chest that was made to become the most holy furnishing in all of the house of God. It was the only piece of furnishing that we would be behind the veil in the holies of holies. It was a, a chest that is described in Exodus 25, uh, but it was 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches deep. It was made of acacia wood. It was overlaid with gold from inside and out. And there would be four rings of solid gold put on each corner. Then they would take the poles and they would wrap the poles in gold, this acacia wood gold, and they would slide it through those rings and those poles were never, ever to be removed, according to Exodus 25. Hebrews tells us the contents of that Ark of the Covenant. The contents of that Ark of the Covenant had the golden pot of manna, We'll get into that in just a minute. At Aaron's rod that budded, it was laid in there as well. And it had the Ten Commandments, the tablets that were written on the front and on the back so that we wouldn't add to or take away from the law of God. And those were laid in there. Then there was a lid called the mercy seat made of pure solid gold with two cherubims that were to perch on there their wings ascending and their faces looking down at the mercy seat. This was the place where the high priest once a year would enter in to the, through the veil and he would apply the blood of the, of the sacrificial animal in order that Israel may be redeemed or atoned for for their sins till the following year. Now, I know history tells us, or people have preached, oh, there was a rope tied to the priest. There's nowhere in Scripture that you can find that. You know why? Because they didn't step behind that veil unless they were ready. They were ready to meet because otherwise there's going to end in their death. But amazingly enough, as we look at this, the Lord said in Exodus, he said, I'm going to meet with you there. I'm going to meet with you on top of the mercy seat. Where does God meet with you and I? He meets with us on, with the, on the mercy seat of the Lord. God is a merciful God, and I'm glad that he is or I wouldn't be here. And guess what? None of you would be either because God is a merciful God, merciful God. But this Ark of the Covenant is a type of Christ. How can we rightfully divine whether or not or decide whether or not that is true? Well, let's look at the articles that are setting inside of this ark. You have the golden pot of manna. Was it not a teaching that Jesus gave those? As they were saying, Moses gave us this bread that, that came down. He said, no, Moses is not the one. Moses, who was a representative of the law, he didn't give you the bread that sustained life. Jesus taught them said I am the bread that came down from heaven. Otherwise, you'd spiritually starve to death And it was meant to be a nourishment to the internal soul of man So that we may build a relationship with the living God. What is God interested in he's interested in relationship with every individual Jesus is the ark of the covenant Jesus is the ark of the covenant now you got Aaron's rod that budded. Man, you want some exciting stories. Go w- w- open up the word of the Lord and you'll discover some things that are in there. There was a rebellion that rose up. Here's Korah, and here is Dathan. And they decide that they have ever been a right to enter into the veil and do all that, that Moses and the sons of Aaron are doing. The Lord said, No, you don't. What happened? There, as you'll discover, Cor and Dathan re- rebelled against Aaron, Moses and Aaron. The Bible tells us, as Moses was, was telling us in, in, first, in Numbers 16 and 17, he said, you boys better back up away from the tents of Cor and Dathan. Moses is bold enough to say, if they die by natural means, then I'm not even a man of God. But he said, let something happen that's never happened before. Let the earth open up and swallow them up. That's knowing some, that's taking a chance, is it not? But guess what? People started backing up. And when they did, the earth opened up and it swallowed the dwelling places of those men. Wow, if that wasn't enough, the fire of God came out and devoured the 250 men that brought the revolt to begin with and destroyed them. But it did not stop the murmuring of the people. They were mad. They said, all right, let's do this. This is from the Lord. We're going to do this. We're all going to get almond branches, and we're going to put the names of each of the tribes on the almond branches, and we're going to lay them before the presence of the Lord. And the one that sprouts leaves and buds and bears fruit, branches, mind you, they will be the ones whom God has called to be his priest. They did exactly that. They wrote Aaron's name. They wrote the other individual's name. They laid that down in the presence of the Lord. Got up the next day. There were 11 branches that were cut off from an almond tree but now they bore no fruit why because they were not connected where aaron's branch was connected but aaron's branch was not connected to a root system on earth if you want to be fruitful you got to be connected to a supernatural soil which is jesus christ if you're not bearing fruit my question is are you connected If you're not connected, you're not going to bear fruit. But if you are connected, as you abide in the vine, and the vine abides in you, you will bear much fruit. And therein is my Father glorified, Jesus said. So the root system we have is not a natural one. It's a spiritual one. How can a nobody from nowhere get up and do anything for anybody? How? Because the connection. No other reason. I'm the branch. He's the vine. It's his fruit that I bear. It's not my own. Now, So look at that. But see what the declaration was that day is that the Lord was showing them look, the reality is there will come a day where the high priest will be the one who steps forth. And he will not only be the high priest, he will also be the one who offers his own sacrifice, uh, which will be himself. uh, And we will not violate uh, the order that I set forth uh, because that uh, Levites uh, are just a representation, just like that that branch is a representation uh, of the priest that is going to come. uh, And I'm not stopping the process to please, uh, you bunch of rebels. He will be called a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, speaking of Jesus, back to the ark. The ark is a type of Jesus Christ. We find relationship with the Lord through the pot of manna. We find that Jesus was the manna, and we live. If you're not in the Word, you need to get in the Word. If you, You're not going to know the God that you serve unless you spend some time with him. How are you going to rule in the kingdom if you don't know his rule? But as we look further there, we see also there was the tablets, the Ten Commandments, which was the outline and the structure for all of the law, all 633. Now, Moses could not enter into the place of promise that tells you and I, we cannot have the spirit by the works of the law. But we don't do away with the law. We don't do away with the law. No, the law has been fulfilled and has been placed in the covenant, the ark of the covenant, and that ark is Jesus. I'm going to wait just a minute. That penny's going to drop. Now, when Andrea started tiptoeing all over my stuff, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to give it to you because I, I just believe the Lord wants to say something. And yes, you would say it better, but come on now, give me a minute. Amen. What we find out is that Jesus Christ, get this, get this in your spirit. He is the mediator, the mediator. Do you see all these notes? Good or not? We're not going to get to all those. Okay, well, he is the mediator of the new covenant. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 8 and 6, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch he is a mediator of a better covenant. A mediator is a person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict come into agreement. Um, he's the mediator of the new covenant. My lower nature, my fallen nature, my, my old man is in conflict with God. I want to do what I want to do. When I want to do it. Your flesh is just as stinky as my flesh. Your flesh has been in the grave just as long as Lazarus for four days, and guess what? By this time, you stink. You're a stinker. You're a smelly dead. Anything dead starts to stink. It's like guests after three days, or like fish after three days. They start stinking. Now, as we look at that, what we see is that we are not in right alignment with God. He's the mediator. He brings us into agreement. He conveys the will and the purpose of God to our spirit, and we convey that to our soul. And now our soul afflicts that upon us or or, or instructs our flesh how to obey God. We were cut off from God, and we, our lower nature was in rule in our hearts until Jesus Christ came. And now he has set up a new rule. Now he conveys to our spirit. Our spirit conveys to our soul. Then our soul tells our flesh what to do. As we look here, yeah, I was going to lose some weight so I can impress y'all. But I got so hungry. I've been sucking in, if you hadn't noticed. Sometimes my flesh gets out of control. We went and ate pizza today at lunch. I said, get out of the way, Andrea. I'm going for the pizza. She said, no, you need to get the salad. I said, no, I don't want a salad. I want the pizza. I want that big, thick pan pizza, and some of you are hungry right now, and I'm just getting all over your flesh. She said, no, you're going to get some salad. I said, no, woman, get out of the way. I'm going to get me some pizza. But I got salad, and then I got my pizza. Well, see, the Spirit does the same thing for you and I. Jesus does the same thing for you and I. When we're in conflict because we need the salad, we don't, need all the, we don't need all those carbohydrates and all that fat. We need, we need some substance that's going to bring us life and not always fill our bellies. But we see that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. But he's not only the mediator, he's the messenger. He's the one declaring to you that there is a better way than what you're living. It's a new and better way. You're not going to make it by the works of the law of the flesh, but you will make it by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. You will not receive the things of God in and of yourself. He's not only the mediator of the new covenant, he's not only the messenger of the new covenant, he's the surety. He's the surety of the new covenant. Hebrews 7:22 says this, "By some, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant." We're talking about the ark of the covenant, a surety. A person who takes responsibility for another's performance of an undertaking. Jesus is our surety. A surety contract is a legal binding agreement that the signee will accept responsibility for another individual's contractual obligation to pay for the principal matter of a loan, also known as as a cosigner. Now, my grandmother was a hero to me growing up. When all the chaos was taking place in my house, Granny was always steady. Now, my mother finally divorced. She divorced my father when I was very young. She divorced my her second husband, the abusive stepfather, when long about my teenage years. I was so thankful. She didn't come out of her depression. But I I went to work, and I was working at a grocery store, and I would bring home money, and I'd give it to mom because I was so thankful he was gone. I was still playing sports, still going to school, but I was doing these things in order to help the ends to meet. I wanted to build some credit. So I went to my granny. I said, Granny, I want to go to the bank, but they they won't sign a contract with me. I've got to have a cosigner. My granny had good credit because she knew not to give her credit to her kids. So she guarded her credit. She said, all right, Mike, I'll do it. I'll go up there with you. And it was a very small loan. And I knew if I was going to make it anywhere in life, I need to build some credit. So granny goes with me, 16 years of age, go up to the bank, also worked on weekends. And rolling newspapers for my uncle who lived with my granny. And so I not only had a little side job, but I also did newspapers on the weekends. Now, I go up there, and we get out the papers, and they're talking to her, and they're talking to me. And then I sign my name to the contract. And then my granny, Murdy Palmer, writes her name on the bottom line. Let me tell you, that did make the, the, the note payments. But see, the bank was in contract with me yes but let me tell you ultimately their confidence was not in me this 16 year old kid that's trying to build some credit because I had no history of credit but they had every bit of confidence in my granny because my granny paid her bills She paid in full and if I would have foreclosed or if I would have foregone that payment, she would make that payment. She never did, but it was there. Their confidence was not in this 16 year old child, but their confidence was in this elder woman who had had a long history of faithfully paying her bills. Now, two things I want to share with you about that. This is where the the joy of living for the Lord Jesus comes in. He is my surety. He's my co-signer. He's my granny. Lord, I need no, no disrespect. Okay, let's keep going. Why do I say that? Because the truth is I was born into a world of sin and I had such debt that I could never, ever, 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 never pay. But the Lord went to the, he went to the Father's throne room with me and he said, all right, I'm putting my name in blood on the bottom line and if he fails, I will be right there to take care of you. In fact, I'm going to pay it in full. But can you imagine your life? if you were not always trying to earn God's favor trying to do what God has already done for you he is my surety he is my surety he is my surety he has taken care of the sin that was against me and now If I fail, guess what? He picks me up and keeps me going. So we're going to make it a little further. Just come on. You're you're not earning my love. You already have it. We're just going to keep going. I want you to walk in blessing, son. I want you to move in blessing. Now, my granny was a good woman. She's gone on to be with the Lord. She was a good, good woman. But she wouldn't be surety for you. Why? Because she didn't have a relationship with you. She don't know you. Jesus is in relationship with his children. That's why he is your surety, because uh, you're feasting upon the manna which is in Jesus, uh, and you're not walking in your own righteousness uh, because it's his uh, fulfillment that's being accomplished in you. Oh, has anybody got any confidence in God yet? He's a God of mercy. Now, I made a statement that in the old covenant, it was a covenant between God and fallen man. And the truth is, we would never, ever succeed. But the new and better way, we find out in Isaiah 42 and 6, I am the Lord and have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people as a light to the Gentiles. Who does the Father hold covenant with in the new covenant? His covenant is with Jesus. That's the new and better way. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. He is the messenger of the new covenant. He is the surety of the new covenant. And guess what? He is also the covenant. Somebody just got peace. Peace just came over you. It's taken me a long time to get to this place of revelation. But you know what? It brings joy. Now, how does that apply to my life and to your life? You're asking such good questions. Are you still with me? We've got just a little bit further to go. And Joshua said, by this you will know that the living God is among you, that he without fail shall drive out from before you all those enemies that are listed. Now, what we're looking at tonight is not the Lord to open up uh, physical Jordan, so that we can enter into a place of promise. No, no, no. But Jesus, when that ark entered in to that place, into that Jordan, there it is. When the ark entered in to the Jordan River, which was an, was for the Israelites that came out of Egyptian bondage, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're getting ready to enter in. The only way they could enter in because the, the Jordan overflowed all the time of harvest. So that river was just, it was swelled up. It was running. It was rushing. Rainwater and water from up, up, up north had just flooded those, those floodplains. And there wasn't a way that everybody could cross over. But when the ark entered into that Jordan River, the lowest river in the entirety of the world, If you're going to enter into the promises of God, it's not going to be by your strength and your power and your might. It's going to be by the the power and the strength of the Lord Jesus. God is not looking for your strength. He's looking for your weakness. God clings to weakness because in weakness we are made strong. Weakness is not your enemy, church. Weakness is your very best friend. When you stop working for it, maybe you'll start living in the grace of God. Anyway, they step into the Jordan. The Jordan opens up. The physical Jordan opened up. We're looking for a spiritual reality that in the synoptic gospels, it's declared to us in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and even John gives indication. The ark entered the Jordan, and the Jordan backed up. But if you ever notice, when Jesus was baptized, where in the Jordan, the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. When John, who represented the old covenant, said, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to baptize you. Now, I understand, and oh, if you've got just a little bit more time, i just got a little bit more I want to share with you. See, the baptism was not only for converts entering into the place of the kingdom of God, but it was also a ritual that took place in and around Jerusalem. Every time one priest would pass on the priesthood to another priest, you know what they did? They had 3,000 baptismal tanks all around the temple. And so the elder priest, he would take the priest and he would baptize him. And when he came up, it was a transference from one priesthood to the next. Jordan represents the law, baptized Jesus in the Jordan. John represents the old covenant and the old ways and the old priesthood. But there was a transference from that of Levi to Judah, who was Jesus. And the heavens roll back. And this is my son in whom I am well pleased. When we enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, you know what the Father declares to you and I? He says, I I don't see your old nature. What I see is the blood stain of the ark. I see the mercy seat where the angels dare to look upon. They look at the grace of God, and all I can see is the blood of my son, and I am well pleased. Now, how does it relate to victory? we see is that God said told Joshua to tell the people when the ark enters in and it opens up it'll be a declaration to my people that I have gone ahead of them to destroy their enemies (laughs) when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan the heavens opened up as a declaration to you and I that our enemies were defeated on Calvary. All done. Jesus said it was finished. He didn't say there was more to do. He said it is finished. It's finished. How did I break the hold of depression off of my life in which I did suffer from? As a young pastor pastoring our first church, let me tell you, ministry will bring out the worst that's in you. It will. There are those of you that are running from the call tonight because the call is going to require not just a little, it's going to require everything. And you step into the ministry, you can't with all authenticity stand before the pulpit to deliver the word of God if you're holding back. The ugly in your life is going to surface. But I say bring it on. Because you can't get out of it if you don't put into it, and you can't get free if you don't let Jesus Christ be Jesus Christ inside of you. But it's a declaration that Jesus has defeated the enemies. He's destroyed the enemies, past, present, and future. I was a young pastor. We were pastoring a little church, and it was well before I probably needed to be pastoring. I'd only been saved five years. Four, sorry. See, worse than I thought. People said you're too young to pastor. I said, Yeah, I certainly am. I've only been saved four years. I messed up on my first communion, Matthew. Pastor Matthew. I almost I didn't it wasn't a complete mess up, but I almost had them drink the juice before they ate the bread. There was one man who was so indignant, he got up and marched out of the church. I thought, well, how many more can I run off? <laughs> I didn't know nothing from nothing. I was so desperate for God. And God started moving that little old church. I'm telling you, the we we got up one Sunday morning, the, the piano was the pianist was over here and she was fighting with the organist. And there was a man who was on the deacon board who had a tambourine that couldn't play his way out of a wet paper sack. <laughs> He shook that thing on the offbeat, on the on the whatever beat. He just kept dangling that thing around. I thought, good night. Would, would something happen? My wife is sitting about three rows back, and she's begging God to kill her. Lord, just kill me, kill me, kill me. And she was serious. I thought, what have I got myself into? I drug my sorry carcass off of that pew, and she's like, no help from her. She's wanting to die. I walked up to the pulpit and taken an offering or something, and the glory of God fell in that house. All I could do was just hunker down behind the pulpit because the presence of God was so real. The pianist, she laid her pitchfork down and tucked her, her tail and her horns behind her head. and She slithered off of that pew and crawled under the piano. The organist just fell over. And I don't know what happened to the tambourinist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just desperate. Said, oh, God, please help me. Please help me. I was going somewhere good with this. <laughs> but I, I was I was battling I was battling depression. As I told you this morning, depression took my father. He had he had committed crimes and then he committed other acts of sin that he'd really thought he could never be forgiven from. He just he lived with that. Beautiful spirited man lovable person. Everybody liked him, but he just never thought he could get forgiveness for the things that he had done. So he killed himself. My mother, manic-depressant, bipolar. Just plagued with depression. Regret, remorse, and all those things. So it was passed on, and I was walking in this trying to merit my goodness, trying to be good enough to be saved, just trying to be good enough just to not flub up another communion service. You know what I'm saying? Just trying to do things and trying to trying to live out the walk and walk this thing through. But Jesus proved to me that his word is true. I was driving and I got as honest with God as I'd ever gotten with God. I was driving from the church to the house to go eat lunch and as I'm making my way, I said, Lord, you said in your word, if I would submit myself, therefore, unto you, and if I would resist the devil, and I never even got the word devil out of my mouth, and that depression broke. Why? Because Jesus stepped into that Jordan and the heavens opened, and he declared to you and I that that priesthood is not an old priesthood merited in the covenant between man and God, but now there's a new priesthood, and in that new priesthood, now the covenant is between God and God, the Father and the Son. Now, if I want to be in the relationship of the covenant, I've got to be in relationship with the Son. My granny was my surety because I had a relationship and she loved me and she would lay down her life for me. But now there's a love greater than the love of my grandmother. It's the love of Jesus. And he did lay down his life for me. Oh, how would he not want me to succeed? So he didn't leave it up to me. Because I wouldn't. I'm going to mess it up every time. I almost said, screw it up. But I didn't know if that would be appropriate. (laughs) Just give you my thought pattern here. But see, the Lord knew that you would screw it up too. Why do you think that he took 12 ragtag, and one of them was a betrayer, and invest his life into them for three years? Because he didn't have as much confidence in them as he had in himself," he said Peter. "When you're converted, when you're just, you just go strengthen the brethren. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I think I'll do what I told you to do. You're in relationship with God. That Jordan backed up that day as a natural portrait what Jesus did for you and I 2,000 years ago. The heaven's opened up that spiritual Jordan to declare to you and I there is victory in Jesus. I've got about 10 more series rolling up in me, but I'm going to quit. Okay, thank you. Just a couple more things I want to leave you with. The Ark of the Covenant was taken under Eli's rule because he was was a, a horrible priest. They took it, the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines, stuck the Ark of the Covenant as a spoil and a prize and a treasure from war, stuck it in their, the temple with their God, Dagon. And guess what happened? They went in the next day. God was giving them a chance to, to get right, but they didn't, so... Because they're heathens and God's merciful Dagon falling on his face. Must be a coincidence, a dink. Let's set him back up, set him back up. And the next day they come in, Dagon falling over and his head was now, he was now decapitated. (laughs) And his hands, his work of his hands and his head, he was decapitated. You know what happens when you get the presence of God? And that's why the enemy pastors, that's why the enemy fights against the ministry calling you have. Because the presence of God will topple and decapitate idolatry. Jesus will stop the flow of the enemy. In any home, any church, any city, Jesus will defeat every enemy, every foe that comes against him. The the enemy is not even in competition, not even in the same arena. There's not a stronghold stronger than the strong Jesus that lives in you and I. It was the ark that went around the Jericho. Went around Jericho not six times, but seven. On the seventh time, they declared a holy shout. And because the ark was there, Jesus was there, that stronghold was broken. So they got a bunch of tumors. I know, hemorrhoids. The Philistines, that is. They build a new ox cart, stick the ark, and just send it out makes its way back to Israel. You know the stories. If you read the history, if you haven't, you need to read it. Now, whenever King Saul came into reign, he, for 20 years, the the Ark of the Covenant sat somewhere else and nobody even inquired of it. David decided he's going to bring the Ark back into Jerusalem. He's been anointed king. He was anointed uh, there in, in the sheepfold, whereas in the pasture when he was taken care of, and he comes to the house and he's anointed. He's anointed king over Judah. Now he's a king over Judah and Israel, all of Israel. And now he's going to bring the ark back into the house of God, back to the city of God. What did he do? Unfortunately, he took his cues from the world and he put the ark on a new ox cart, a beast of burden. And he begin to drive that to the house of God it went to a threshing floor and the priests that were that were going along reached up and touched the ark God slew him they mishandled Jesus they mishandled the ark Jesus is not meant to be carried on the by beast of burden religious systems God's not interested in your religion folks he's not in, interested in your works Stop sticking him on a a man-made ox cart and start carrying Jesus how he should be carried, the divine connected to the natural because he said put the poles in there so that the priest could transport uh, and only the priests should be the ones that transport the Ark of the Covenant, just like you and I are called a a peculiar people, a royal priesthood to call forth the praises of God. It's time that we stop letting somebody else and some man-made ingenuity carry the presence of God when you are meant to cows and to hold and to walk in victory with Jesus. But there is no enemy that can stand against him nor is there an enemy that can stand against you. Depression, anxiety, worry, stress, physical, emotional, relational, can be healed through Jesus Christ. He gives us so many portraits that show us how beautiful this message of the gospel is. As Andrew said this morning, I don't know if she said it originally, but I've taken it as my own. The good news is not good news until I understand how bad my bad news is. But when I discover how bad my bad news is, then I can understand how good his good news is. Because without Jesus, I would not only be in the wilderness, I would still be in Egypt under the fierce taskmaster of the devil living in depression, alcoholism, suicidal. I had a medical doctor in this church, set over here at Red Lobster, and he wanted to know why I was not an abuser, why I was not suicidal, and why I was not uh, uh, hooked on, on alcohol and all the other devices that I came out of. This was a spirit-filled man who grew up in an Assembly of God church, and he's a medical doctor, and it baffled him. Why all of those things were not transferred over to me? I said, well, Jesus, (laughs) Jesus, (laughs) Jesus, he lives up in here. He he tells me what to do, where to go, what to say, how to say it. and, And if I get it wrong, he helps me. He's paid my debt, and if I mess up, if I screw up, he just gets me back on track because I'm in a relationship, and he reminds me I gave everything for you. I'll continue to do so. All I'm asking you, I've given you all of my heart, son. Now I just want all of your heart. I've empowered you to overcome. Now now go and be an overcomer. This is all y'all's fault because you keep sucking it out of me. But I believe some folks need some victory in this house. I believe some folks need some victory in this house. I believe you've been dragging some chains of bondage around longer than you need to. I believe there's some oppression, depression. You know, I used not to share my story when I pastored here, but I found out it's not my story when Jesus enters in because it now becomes his story. And I had to start telling the story and not only to discover it's not my story anymore. It's his story. And now it it is the very thing that God uses most in order to help people be set free. And I say, oh, victory in Jesus. Whoever thought that beaten, broken down little boy who'd lived in shame and pain and regret and self-destruction, whatever amount to anything, the world didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. Nobody around me believed it. But Jesus never stopped believing in his spirit in me. And he showed me that there's a better covenant. And I am his son, and now you're my son, and now you enter in your heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ. And now you can go to the Father and you say, Oh, the Father, Daddy, Daddy, I need you. Amen. I dead in a doornail sitting on that pew this, this evening. I said, Jesus, you're gonna have to show up. <laughs> but you know what? God is faithful, He's faithful. He's faithful when I'm faithless. He remains faithful. Jesus, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Worship team, get up here. They're going to think I'm never going to quit. The Spirit of the Lord is going to pour out in this house in a mighty way, He's going to flow through the streets. He's going to flow to the highways, the byways, and the hedges. He's going to flow through you. The Lord is looking for a church to pour his spirit into in every region, in every city, in every place. Your pastors are divinely called and ordained to be here. Your pastors are divinely called in order to be here. God is going to enable them to accomplish all that he wills. God is going to use you to accomplish his desire because Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. If his spirit does not pour out in these last days, we have no hope. We have no hope because we need the revelation that comes only by the spirit. We need him to awaken us from our graves and our deadness. There's a new hunger coming on the house of God. It's a hunger that is so ravenous that's going to cause the lepers to get up from the gate and start marching into the enemy's camp. And when they do, that hunger is going to drive the city of God out of their strongholds, that they're going to stomp doubt right at the gate. And they're going to enter into the enemy's camp, And they're going to take back the spoils that belong to the house of God. I'm speaking a prophetic word to you right now. Your children need you. If you have relationships that are broken, it's time to mend them. If you've got hurt and pain and addiction, it's time to be set free. If you've got worth issues, let me tell you, Jesus Christ can make you a new person again. No one hated themselves more than I hated myself. No one was more ashamed of themselves than I was. But Jesus Christ has helped me to overcome shame by accepting his acceptance and shunning that shame to to find out that I am all that I need to be in him and I don't need to be anybody else. I don't want to be anybody else. I want you to stand if you will.